Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name's Melissa. Welcome back to the Deliverability Defined Podcast. Each week, we'll be diving deep into a topic and giving you practical advice to improve your email deliverability. In other words, we'll help you reach the inbox of your subscribers and stay out of their spam folders, leading to more success in your email marketing. Deliverability can be complex, but we're here to define it. Hey, Melissa. How's it going? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. I'm excited because this morning we actually have a question from a listener. So we get to answer that. I feel so official. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So Al, thank you. He actually submitted a few, but the one we're going to talk about today before we jump into spam traps, he asked, is it a good idea to include emojis in your subject line? What do you think about that, Melissa? Well, I think just like a lot of different content rules that it depends on your audience. And that's probably like my first response initially. And then don't overuse them. Because generally speaking, I would say that if you used too many and if they were very in someone's face, they probably would think that that email might be closer to like the spammy side of things. So I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think it really depends on who your audience is and what your message is saying and how you use the emojis. There's a lot of different variations there, but if you maybe have an audience who likes emojis and you have a subject line like my book is available now with the little confetti emoji, that's cute. That's fun. It might catch their eye. Not a bad thing. But if you send an email in all caps, it says, buy now, hurry in with a ton of fire emojis and exclamation emojis. And it's just like you said, in your face might look a little spammy. So my recommendation is to don't be afraid to test. So you can always run an A-B test with your subject lines right? and look and see which one performs better, the one with the emoji or the one without. And that'll help you understand what your audience likes better. And then you can make an informed decision from there. Right. And something we've mentioned before that might be helpful is if you historically sent email Subject lines with no emojis, starting to do something like that right away without doing any testing could be like off-putting to your audience. So if you're going to either make a change one way or the other, just keep that in mind. Yeah. Make sure to just dip your toe in. Maybe use one emoji. Dip your toe in. (laughs) Don't start with 10. Start with one. See what people do. See how your open rates and conversions perform. And then go from there with some data on your side. Sounds like plan. Cool. That was fun. If you guys have any questions or topic requests, feel free to submit those to us at convertkit.com slash deliverability. There's a form there and we would love to talk about what you all want to hear. Awesome. So today we're going to talk a little bit about spam traps and how to avoid them the right way. The reason why we say the right way is because Oftentimes, people have a gut reaction to spam traps that just isn't helpful. We're going to talk about that. And they might sound scary at first. So, of course, like always, we want to clear things up, help you have some good education around what a spam trap is and the right way to try and avoid them. Yes. So a spam trap, for any of you that don't know what it is, it is an email address that's created or maintained with the purpose of identifying senders with poor list health or collection methods. So basically, it's an email address that ends up on your list. 
And it kind of is monitoring the sort of sending that you are doing. Yeah, exactly. And even the fact that it's on your list is a signal that something's not right. And we'll talk about the few different kinds of spam traps because they kind of inform you of what exactly went wrong. So the goal is to have a list that has no spam traps. We'll also talk about how that's probably not going to happen. You might have a few spam traps on your list. It's not the end of the world, but there are ways you can make your list as clean as possible. So you might be wondering who creates these spam trap addresses. They are mostly created by people who run blacklists or spam filters or mailbox providers. Uh, For example, Microsoft has their own list of spam traps. Blacklists like Spamhouse or Spamcop use spam traps to decide if you should be placed on their blacklist, and they use it to essentially filter mail. It's just another data point for them to decide whether you're a good sender or a bad sender. So they create these email addresses or maintain them, and if you're sending mail to them enough times, then they might start to send your messages to the spam folder or place your domain or IP address on a blacklist. So there are three types of spam traps we're going to jump into. Pristine spam traps are the first, and they're email addresses that are created, but they were never used to sign up for any email marketing or to purchase anything. They're typically added to a purchased list or public website. So at ConvertKit specifically, we don't allow purchase lists if that's information that's shared with us, we automatically tell those people that we can't accept them on our platform. Purchase lists in the email marketing world are a big no-no. So that's something we would highly recommend not doing. And this means if a pristine trap receives an email, the sender either purchased the list or scraped addresses from a website or obtained a bad list in some way. So, you know, we've had customers reach out before and ask, I received a list from a someone's business. I like I inherited the business or I bought the business. And you have to be really careful when you do those kinds of things, because if you don't know the history of the list, you can end up putting yourself in a really bad position, especially if you have a domain that has a good reputation so far. Yeah, that's such a good point. And in a little later in the episode, we're going to talk about all the different like things to watch out for and how to make sure to avoid those spam traps on your list. But that's such a great one. Purchasing list, huge no-no. Same with scraping a list from the internet somehow. A lot of people will obtain public list of like all the doctors in Tennessee and then email them. Also a no-no. So we'll talk more about permission. But if you have a pristine spam trap on your list, it means either that list is purchased, it's scraped, it's shared, it was not opt-in. Maybe you have some list bombing issues and a pristine trap got on your list that way. That's definitely possible, which is another reason why having double opt-in on your list is so, so important. Because if you're only importing subscribers who have for sure opted in to receive your email marketing, and maybe you're using signup forms as well, but they all have double opt-in, then you can be sure that every single person on your list wants to be there. They've confirmed their subscription and you're not going to run into issues with pristine spam traps. So when you think of spam traps, pristine are the worst. It kind of signals that you have people on your list who didn't sign up to be there. The next typo, this is an email address that appears to be a typoed address, but since it's being used as a spam trap, it can receive mail. So oftentimes like 
you'll see someone signed up will have a customer reach out and say, I don't understand why my subscriber is not getting an email address. Looks like they bounced. And, and maybe they wrote Gmail instead of Gmail with an N. But it actually can also be, that's a totally different scenario. There can actually be email addresses that are like that, but they can actually receive mail. They're a legitimate address. Yeah. So a lot of these organizations that run spam trap networks and use them to determine how they should filter mail and to give senders reputation, they will kind of purchase a list of domains that are obvious typos, like gnail.com, Yahoo with only one O, you know, things like that. And then they can look and see which senders are sending a lot of mail to these domains. It's not as serious as a pristine trap, of course, because someone can easily typo their address when signing up for your list. And maybe they really did want to be there, but it does signal that there is a list collection issue here. There's not a verification process happening. People are signing up to your list and the addresses that are coming through just aren't valid in some way. So the main thing here is that these spam trap networks are trying to figure out which senders are not cleaning up their list, are not verifying addresses at sign up. So we'll talk more about how to avoid those, but that's what a typo trap is. So the third type of spam trap is a recycled trap. And these are email addresses that were at one point valid. Maybe they actually did sign up for your list at one point in time, but it was a long time ago. And since then, they bounced for a while, but then the mailbox provider who has the address kind of opens it back up just to see who's still emailing it. So if you have a recycled trap on your list, it means that either at some point you didn't manage your bounces, maybe you reactivated people who had bounced somehow. That could have happened if you switched ESPs. You might have accidentally brought your bounce subscribers over to your new ESP and made them active. Or if you've come across a really old list and you haven't emailed them in a really long time, but you're deciding, hey, let's give it a shot. So when you email an old list or don't manage bounces, there's a good chance you'll find some recycled spam traps on your list. And in this case, the people who operate the spam trap are trying to figure out who is not cleaning out their list, managing bounces, and being sure to only email active people. Right. And if you're a ConvertKit customer, we manage bounces for you. So it wouldn't be something that you would have to go through and say, oh, this person bounced. I need to make sure they don't receive any more mail because ConvertKit automatically removes them from your active sending list and they will not receive anything else until you reach out to us and ask why they bounced and we reactivate them because we know it's okay. But other than that, I mean, you wouldn't have to manage those yourself at ConvertKit specifically. Yeah, such a good point. You'll just, whenever you first join ConvertKit, you'll want to be sure that anyone who bounced in the past doesn't get active on your list. We have a wonderful migrations team that can help you out with all of that. But as long as you are importing only active subscribers, we will manage the bounces for you as long as you're using ConvertKit. So one of my favorite things to talk about with all of the different deliverability topics is misconceptions. Because yes. I think it's really easy to hear a deliverability term and sort of think to yourself, well, I think that sounds like this, or I've heard it in association with that. And we don't always know exactly 
where to get information. And when it comes to deliverability, it's not always very obvious. So I love to talk about misconceptions. Yes. And I feel like there are so many with spam traps just because it's kind of a weird thing. It's not something that the typical email marketer or someone who has an email list might feel like they need to know about right away. But the second they learn about them, they typically are confused, of course, just because there's not a lot of information out there. So the first one I always hear if I reach out to someone about spam traps, so I always be sure and try to put this information on the forefront, is that spam traps are kept secret. So if someone doesn't know this and they find out they have spam traps on their list, the first question they'll ask is, how do we get them off? Like, okay, what was the spam trap address? What's that email <laughs> that is the spam trap? And I always have to explain we don't know, we're, we can't know, no one can know except for the person who owns the spam trap address. And that's the nature of a spam trap. So if somehow I could tell you, you hit a spam trap and it is xyz at gmail.com, then every spammer could just clean their list of spam traps and they would be useless for the people who are using them to filter mail. So spam traps are kept anonymous and they often look like real email addresses on your list. They shouldn't ever engage with emails though, which is why cleaning out unengaged subscribers is a great way to clean your list of spam traps. And that also, of course, gets rid of unengaged subscribers and will help your deliverability in the long run regardless. But yeah, just something to keep in mind is that there isn't a way to look at your list and find the spam traps. Like so many things in deliverability too, it's not always obvious what an issue is, like what the root cause is of a problem. And this is because they have to keep email box providers, blacklist, they have to keep all the information to themselves in order to protect subscribers and senders. So that's the reason you'll hear us say often like, well, it's kept secret or it's not news for everyone. And it's because they have to do that in order to make sure that that information doesn't end up in the wrong hands so that people are abusing email marketing in general. Right. And this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's important just to piggyback on what you said, because it's such a good point, is that I don't think a lot of people understand, especially all of you all listening right now, you're good senders. You're sending important emails that people want to receive. I'm sure of it. And it's hard to realize that most emails sent are spam or malicious or phishing. Most of the mail that Gmail sees is fish or spam. So while mailbox providers, of course, want good senders to make it to the inbox and they want to have a great experience for their subscribers to receive the email they've signed up for, they're also one of their biggest jobs is keeping the internet safe, keeping people safe. So if they aren't doing a good job of filtering out that spam and fish, then there's a lot of people who are going to be hurt by that in some way. Right. They might get scammed. They might have a virus on their computer. Who knows? There's all kinds of bad things. The less spammy emails that I get, the better chance I have of seeing someone's genuine email to me. Exactly. So when I don't have to do the work to dig through all of the bad stuff that comes into my inbox or my spam or whatever, then I can see your email that... I genuinely want to receive and you obviously want me to get it too. Yes, 100%. So this kind of falls into that realm of, you know, you were saying a lot of things are kept secret in deliverability when it comes to where a message goes, how it's filtered to the inbox versus the spam folder. And I think it can make a lot of good senders really frustrated because 
they're thinking, well, I'm doing the right thing. These are my subscribers. Please let me just reach the inbox. But there's a bigger picture here. And mailbox providers and spam filters are really trying to, first and foremost, keep their subscribers safe. That's their number one goal. And then it's about getting them the emails they want to receive. So that's why spam traps, like we said, are kept secret. So you can't scrub your list of spam traps. That's one thing people really want to do. But you have to get to that root issue that caused them to be on your list. And having spam traps on your list doesn't mean that all of your emails will go to spam. It's the issue that led the traps to be on your list in the first place. And that's what's causing the deliverability issue, not necessarily that you have those on your list. And this kind of also like goes back to some other topics that we've covered in the past. It's just about your overall reputation cannot be pinpointed always to one thing. It's going to be made up of all of these different aspects. And that's why when you reach out to maybe a deliverability team, whichever ESP you use, hopefully they'll be able to say, here are all the things that we looked at. And all of these things, A through A, B, C, D, all look great. But these other things down here are the things that we think might be leading to bad deliverability or poor deliverability. So don't automatically assume that because you have maybe a few spam traps on your list, that that alone is just the issue. Exactly. I think when a lot of people hear that they have spam traps on their list, they want to solve that. Like they just want to, well, get them off. You know, there's three spam traps. Okay. Who are they? Let's pick them off the list and move on. But spam traps are a symptom of a larger issue. Just like maybe if you're sneezing, it's a symptom of something larger, maybe a cold. So Spam traps, again, are just a sign. And what you want to do is figure out, okay, well, how did they get there? Because how they got there is the bigger problem. So some ways that we can help you guys avoid spam traps. We have a a little list right here we can go through that I think will be pretty helpful. So the first one, like we've mentioned before, is please, please don't ever purchase a list. And like Alyssa said, I feel like most of the people listening right now probably are good senders who have good intentions. And honestly, some people just they don't know going into email marketing that that's a very like looked down on like strategy. We no one in email marketing has ever said, "Oh, purchasing a list is a great thing." Yeah, and I know we've said this on another episode, but it also happens if someone has a very outdated view on how deliverability and email marketing work because there was a time where before There were even spam filters. There was a time where there was email and there was just one big inbox. There was no spam folder. So you could find a list on the side of the road and email them about whatever you're selling. And if you get one sale, great. If not, oh well. And it would have no effect on you. So I think that's kind of where email list purchasing came from because it was like, well, I mean, why not? Just go ahead and send this full list. It won't hurt me, but it could help me if somebody out there purchases. But with the way the email deliverability and spam filtering works these days, it will hurt you. And it can really damage your sender reputation and limit your ability to send mail to people who maybe actually have confirmed their opt-in and want to be on your list. So just don't purchase a list. I know it's tempting maybe to just have a list of email addresses you can go ahead and try and sell to, but it's the easy way out. And in the long run, it's not going to give you the results that a naturally just engaged list that you grew the hard way, you know, slow and steady is going to give you. Well, and this kind of 
goes into double opt-ins and using double opt-ins. And I think at ConvertKit specifically, we really encourage that. That's something that our support specialists are also aware of. And we've always really encouraged people to use those. And I think a lot of customers kind of struggle with whether or not this is a good practice because they want to make sure that the person who's signing up is receiving their initial emails. And I can totally understand why. But you also want to make sure you're protecting the list that you have worked for. And part of that is using a double opt-in to make sure that people are going that one small extra step to really confirm that they want to be on your list and receive your emails. And that looks so much better to email box providers too. Yeah. On that note, I just was reminded that our good friend Al, who sent in our question about the emojis, he also asked, have the benefits of double opt-in been quantified or is it mostly a theory that sounds good? So I think you just hit the nail on the head. That's a great question. Yeah. It is important. It has been quantified, especially when it comes to list bombing, because we've seen it across the board with senders using all kinds of different ESPs who don't have double opt-in on their list, their deliverability can get so damaged. And it's just because they didn't have their form protected and double opt-in could have saved them a lot of headache. Obviously, reCAPTCHA and other protection is still important, but double opt-in helps to just make sure, like Melissa, you just said, that people on your list really want to be there. They've taken that extra step and confirmed their opt-in, and it's a good sign that they're going to be an engaged subscriber and a high-quality subscriber and lead to more conversions. So what are your thoughts on giveaways? Because I'm really interested in this kind of, I don't want to necessarily call it a tactic because I know that giveaways are, they can be really great for people's audiences. So if you do a giveaway and you're listening, don't get me wrong, I think they can be awesome. But when it comes to email marketing, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I might be in the strict kind of camp when it comes to this. And it's just because I've been doing this for so long and I've seen the results of what I might call like kind of a tricky opt-in or sometimes it's actually forced opt-in. And an example of that is a giveaway where maybe someone saw an ad or a post on someone else's social media that said, you could win a car. I don't know. That's a big one. You could win a vacation, but you need to sign up for my email list or do this or do that. And then through that process, you know, maybe there were 10 people who were involved in that giveaway. And whenever you sign up, to receive the free car or to be entered into it, you get added to those 10 people's email lists that were involved in the giveaway. To me, that's not someone opting in to receive your email marketing. That's someone trying to win a car. And those are just two really different things. You're not going to get high quality subscribers that way. And like I said, with the purchase list, I know it's so tempting because I'm sure you can get so many email addresses using that tactic. I know a lot of people are doing this with Instagram follows too, and there's a lot of debate right now about it. Yeah, because that was going to be my my example. Yeah. I see it so often on Instagram. Yes, an account I really love to follow, Chris Loves Julia, they're interior designers, and they recently came out against it, not in a judgmental way, but just saying, that's not how you grow your audience. It's just not authentic. People don't actually want to follow you or be on your email list. They want to win whatever it is you're selling or giving away. And the second that giveaway is over, they're either going to unfollow you slash unsubscribe or mark your messages spam or become unengaged, which in the social media world, that's actually not that big of a deal because 
If you are selling things on Instagram, engagement does matter a little bit more. You can probably make more money with sponsored posts if you have higher engagement. So they'll look at that, but it's not like deliverability where it's going to really hurt you. And so if you get a list of emails from maybe a friend you're doing a giveaway with and these people signed up, it's just not going to go well. (laughs) And I hate that. But again, growing your list the right way where you're saying to someone, here is what I do. Here's what I'm offering. Sign up to be a part of it or to receive what I'm offering is the best way to grow your list. And there is a really, there are really awesome ways to do that. We can have a whole episode on how to grow your list in a good way for deliverability. But anything that's like forced, so just to clarify a little more, because I feel like I see this often. So just one more example, you might have seen this a lot, Melissa, but if you go to, for example, a coffee shop and you want to use their Wi-Fi and it asks for your email address, that's a really bad form of collecting email addresses. However, you can make it okay by adding a checkbox that says, please send me email marketing from this coffee shop. And that checkbox should not be checked automatically. The person should have to go in, check that box. That is a great way to grow your list, put people on your list who actually want to be there. That person's at your coffee shop and they said, please send me email marketing. They checked the box and then they accessed the Wi-Fi. But they didn't have to do that to access the Wi-Fi. If you're forcing that, so if someone automatically is put on your list the second they access your Wi-Fi because they gave you their email address, but they didn't check any boxes, it's not going to go well. You're going to get a ton of typo spam traps and also just a ton of invalid addresses, people who don't actually want to be there. So no one should ever be kind of like forced to be on your list because they wanted to receive something else. They should be excited to be there. That's a fantastic example. I hadn't thought of that actually. Oh, I hate seeing it. <laughs> it's just not, it doesn't work at all because of course people just want to get on the Wi-Fi and they're just like no at no.com. And I'd be lying if I said I hadn't done that before. So I probably have too. Well, and so, and then obviously like we've talked about having a no at no.com will bounce. And so if you have those bounced email addresses, you want to make sure you're not continually sending to them. And like I mentioned previously, ConvertKit takes care of those bounces for you. So you don't have to worry about excluding them from your future messaging. But you'll want to be sure that if you notice a lot of bounces in ConvertKit, there's a drop down menu on your subscriber page. If you're concerned about bounces or you want to know why, we can always look that up for you and figure out if there's another underlying issue. But you're definitely, if you're at a different ESP and you're expected to manage those bounces, you want to make sure that you're doing that so that you can keep the health of your list in a good place. Yeah. And like we mentioned earlier, I think the biggest place this gets messed up is when someone changes ESPs. So oftentimes you'll just export your full list in one ESP and then go to the next ESP. And you want to be sure that when you're importing your list, you are not making bounced and complained subscribers active again. That's one way to really hurt your deliverability right off the bat as you're sending with new IP addresses and a new ESP, and you really want to make a good first impression. Again, at ConvertKit, we have free migration services and someone can help you with all of that. But one thing I personally really like to recommend is to actually import bounce subscribers into your new ESP and immediately make them inactive with whatever language they use. Maybe you cancel them or unsubscribe them or whatever it is. And that way, if you have an intern down the road, someone always blames the intern, (laughs) then they're not going to accidentally import a list of bounce subscribers because if they were to, they would already be in that bounced or inactive state in your ESP and they wouldn't be able to 
change them to active, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I've actually, through looking at other articles and kind of researching on my own previously with bounces, that is kind of a general concern in like the deliverability world is that it's not always great to just delete people because you don't want those to end up on your list again at some point down the road. Right. Yeah. So I like to say, just go ahead and put those bounced and complained people in your new ESP and immediately make them inactive. However, you can do that in that way. If somehow somebody accidentally imports that list again, those people will remain in inactive state, most likely, depending on how your ESP works. Be sure to check with them. But that's definitely best practice to be sure that they stay inactive and they don't receive any unwanted emails. And sort of the last point for making sure you avoid spam traps is to not email a list that has been sitting around collecting dust. And I've seen this a few times at ConvertKit when someone reaches out and says, hey, I had this previous business and it's been a really long time since I've emailed my list. What should I do? So I think this is kind of like an interesting topic because it sort of goes along with if you're new to an ESP but you've had a list How do you navigate that? Yeah. Alyssa, what are your thoughts on that? I would say just kind of evaluate the situation. So an example I've given in the past of like when not to email an old list is, I don't know, maybe this is just living in Nashville and I have friends who have kind of done this, but maybe someone decides to start a band with their friends and they collect email addresses at the merch table And that, you know, is going great for like six months and then they decide to give up and they don't tour for two years and they don't do anything. And then they're all sitting around and they're like, yeah, let's get the van back together. Let's do it again. And they have that old email list from two years ago and they want to email those people and be like, we're back. Come to our show. It's just not a good idea. So I would say it's probably different for each situation. But if it's been six or more months that this list hasn't heard from you, I would say it's probably best to let them go. At the very least, use a list validation tool to help weed out some of the bad addresses. Those tools can't clear out all your spam traps. We're going to have a whole episode on this with Lauren from Kickbox, who is an expert in this area. But list validation can't do everything for you. It can't make sure that the people still want to be on your list. It doesn't know that. It'll just go ahead and remove people who are probably going to bounce for you. Certainly, if it's been a year or more that these people haven't heard from you, just don't do it. Just start fresh. Don't get this list back in the mix because it's probably a bunch of invalid addresses. These subscribers have maybe forgotten who you are or that they even signed up. And they don't want to suddenly receive an email out of the blue. I know if I receive an email out of nowhere from someone that I don't recognize, it's probably going to get marked as spam. So I would say at six months, be very cautious. Probably don't put the person active on your list. If it's been a year or more since they've heard from you, I would say do not use that list. Great advice. So a question you might be having if you're an email sender is how do I know if I have spam traps on my list? There are a few different providers who will tell you if you have their spam traps on your list, like 250OK, Return Path, eData Source, but those can be really pricey. So If you're a smaller sender who just doesn't have the budget for that, the best thing to do is just follow the best practices we've given you and not really worry about how many spam traps do I have on my list. If you're keeping your list clean, you are only emailing people who have asked to hear from you, you're fine. 
you should you don't have a huge thing to worry about and I wouldn't pay extra money for someone to tell you the number of spam traps they found on your list. If you have a spam trap problem, if there's a spam trap that has actually caused you to be blacklisted, your ESP will let you know about it because your ESP's IP address will likely also be blacklisted and they are not going to be happy about that. So If you have an actual problem like spam traps have caused you to be blacklisted somehow, there's a good chance you're going to find out through your ESP. And otherwise, just follow best practices when it comes to list health, list collection, all of that good stuff. And then you don't have to worry about how many spam traps are on your list. Right. It's like we've kind of beating a dead horse, but it's true. You know, all of these things that we've talked about so far in our last few episodes, they all kind of like pile on top of each other. They all have sort of an effect on each other. So following best practices should keep you out of the weeds on a lot of the issues that you could have in the future. And just make sure you're emailing people who genuinely want to receive your content. Yep. That's so great. Thank you all for listening. Next week, we're going to talk more about blacklists, which we talked about briefly here. So if you heard us say that word and you're like, I have no idea what that means. I want to know more. Then go ahead and listen next week. And we'd love to have you subscribe to the podcast so that these can automatically get downloaded for you every week. We would love to have a five-star rating from you. Only if you truly think we deserve it. And we'd also love to hear from you at um, convertkit.com slash deliverability with any questions or topic suggestions you have. Otherwise, I hope you have a really great week. Yeah, have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to Deliverability Defined. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you have time, please leave us a review. You can find a resource guide for today's show at convertkit.com slash deliverability, where we outline all of the information you need to know from today's episode. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover, let us know within the ConvertKit community or at convertkit.com slash deliverability. We'll see you next week.